This podcast audio is from episode 13, Healthy versus Unhealthy Relationships, with special guest Jessica Munoz, LCSW. It's from my YouTube channel, Being Happy Anyway with Glenn. It's also available on Facebook, Instagram, and from the website, beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. Did you know that one in three women will experience rape, physical violence, or stalking from an intimate partner? Jessica Munoz will lead us in a discussion based on a chart found on the National Domestic Violence Hotline website regarding behaviors that occur on the spectrum of healthy, unhealthy, and abusive relationships. We all can benefit from this information. You may even change a behavior or two after listening. For our podcast listeners, The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Again, 1-800-799-7233. Hi, my name is Jessica Munoz. I am a licensed clinical social worker with five years of clinical experience. In my professional and personal experience, across the board, I have found that In all people, regardless of age, socioeconomic background, race, gender, sexuality, ability, we share a common desire for connection with others, belonging, and love. There are a variety of types of relationships that we could talk about, but today I want to focus on romantic relationships. Although it can be argued that some of these concepts that we're going to talk about today can be applied to platonic friendships as well. So specifically, I'll be comparing traits found in healthy and unhealthy relationships. We'll be talking about some statistics of interpersonal violence, understanding abuse by identifying it, and also providing resources for people caught in an abusive cycle or for loved ones uh, that are in that cycle for the people who want to support them. This subject is particularly a passion of mine because not only my clients, friends, and family members that have allowed me to journey along with them in their healing from victim to survivor to thriver, but also my own personal experience of being in an abusive relationship and the gratitude I hold to those that held me up in a difficult and dark period. I want to pay it forward. And I hope that this presentation and podcast will provide some helpful information and insight and perhaps even save a life. Throughout the presentation, I will be using the gender pronouns she, her, and hers. And not because this type of violence exclusively happens to women, as we'll see later on in the presentation, it happens to everybody. But statistically speaking, the victims are heavily women and perpetrators are the majority male. So beginning, when we think about relationships, romantic and platonic, they exist on a spectrum. And what that means is that there's fluidity in relationships. So on one end, you have healthy. In the middle, you have unhealthy. And at the other end, you have abusive. And there might be some characteristics overall in your relationships that are healthy, maybe some that are unhealthy that you want to work in, in areas of growth. And I think it's really important that we look at all of these sort of as markers, 
of what those relationships might be on this spectrum. So let's go through some of those markers. That sounds great. The first one is communication. So in a healthy relationship, you might see communication as your ability to talk openly about your problems, being able to listen back and forth, feeling heard in the relationship and also hearing the other person and respect for your opinions and also for your partner's opinions. As you move across the spectrum, you move towards communication breakdown. So when there's problems or issues that arise in the communication, you tend to fight. You get defensive, communication breaks down. You're not really being feeling like you're being heard or the other person is hearing you. And there's not a discussion. Maybe you feel some lack of respect. And in, on the other end, an abusive communication is when one partner communicates in a way that is hurtful, that is threatening, that's insulting, and that demeans and disrespects the other person. So Glenn, do you have some examples that come to mind? Sure. As I think about communication amongst abusive relationships, I think of one person domineering, controlling the other, mm -hmm. wanting the other person to believe everything they believe. If you love me, you vote for the same person I vote for. You want the same food at the restaurant that I want. You like the people that I like. You wear what I want you to wear. And in communication, it just comes out with the threatening, demeaning, insulting things that are said. I think sometimes as I've worked with couples, Jessica, when they're calling each other stupid and idiot or even worse, they'll say that they're just teasing and that's the way they talk to each other. And I really discourage that type of talk between two people because maybe one of them feels they're playing, but I don't know if the other one thinks that they are. They may be used to it. But in an unhealthy relationship, you were mentioning that sometimes there's just an avoidance of talking. Maybe the couple is fearful of having arguments and they don't want to argue. And so in the short term, they think, hey, at least we're not arguing. Not talking is better than arguing. But that isn't always the case because sometimes then things are brewing and there's resentments that are coming up. So in that healthy communication that you mentioned to start this off, you said that there's an openness in talking about problems, that there's a listening to each other and respecting each other's opinions rather than trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Right. In a healthy relationship, there's like, okay, you think our child should go to a private school because you went to a private school and you got a very good education, right? I believe our public school would also offer that good education. Can we continue to research the schools rather than, hey, you're a snob because you want our kids to go to private school or the other partner saying, well, look at you, you're a cheapskate and you want them to go to a public school to try to understand where each other's coming from maybe even be able to argue on your partner's side. You think, you believe this because this and that and the other. Because I think, what do you think, Jessica, when we feel understood, even if someone doesn't agree with us, I just feel safer in that I matter. 
Yeah, I think that's a really excellent point. I think a good indicator that there's open communication is when you are really able to put yourself in your partner's shoes and seeing your partner put themselves in your shoes and being able to express your perspective, then you feel understood and there's safety that comes with that. There was one thing too that you shared, Glenn, that was really insightful. In communication, in the unhealthy column, you mentioned avoidance, not communicating about problems and and that being maybe an indicator of we're okay because we're not talking about it. But really that not being a good thing or a healthy thing for a relationship. And I do want to point out Silence can also be a tactic in abusive relationships where the partner is trying to express or be open, share their opinion, and there is, they're met with silence or avoidance as a way that the abusive partner is trying to control the other person. So I just wanted to also sure. build on what you were sharing, but that was such a good point that you made. I like that, Jessica. It's silence can be a punishment. Exactly. An intentional withholding. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's an example of passive aggression, right? It's an aggressive behavior, but it's passive. I'm not talking, but I'm punishing you. Silence, intentional silence can be very abusive, can't it? Mm-hmm. It can. It's different if someone said, I'm upset right now. And right now, I think if I say something, it may be hurtful. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to go run around the block. And then I'm going to come back and let's continue this conversation. But right now, I'm not doing real well. That's completely different, isn't it, Jessica? Do you think that's okay? That's absolutely. Take a break. Right. That's absolutely different because you are communicating with your partner your need to take a time out that you need a moment to regulate yourself, which means to just kind of get yourself together and calm down because you don't want to say something that you're going to regret or you don't want to do something that you're going to regret that's going to hurt the other person. Or maybe you just are feeling so overwhelmed in the moment that you need a minute to kind of get yourself together. And that's completely fine. It's like you said, because we communicated it. This is what I need. It isn't that I'm mad at you and I hate you and I'm ending the relationship. I'm a little upset. I'm a little tired. I'm a little flustered. Just let me have something to eat. Let me walk the dog and I'm going to come right back to this. And I know there's a solution. I love you. I'm a little mad right now. Right. And so I'm not withholding love and I'm not withholding communication. And I think that's so important what you were saying with being able to communicate that versus just running out of the house. Your partner's trying to call you, trying to text you. And there's no response. And again, that goes back to the silence that we were talking about, which is just completely shutting off communication. So we're just on one of the six characteristics. (laughs) There's so much to say about these. Glenn, why don't you take us to the next one? Sounds good. The next continuum from the slide that Jessica has up for us is about respect. In healthy relationships, we value each other as we are. We respect each other's emotional, digital, and sexual boundaries. I thought it was interesting that it says digital boundaries, too. We're not grabbing each other's phones to see what's on there. Sexual boundaries is obviously a big one. We'll talk about more on another slide, too. So respect. Now, in an unhealthy relationship, we're moving towards disrespect. So one or both partners 
are not considerate of the other's feelings or personal boundaries. In an abusive relationships, the feelings, thoughts, decisions, opinions, and physical safety of the other are not considered. Jessica, what comes up for you as I read those sections of your slide? Mm, so much. Respect is a really core tenet of a relationship. When I think about healthy relationships and the respect that's found in a, in a healthy relationship, I'm going to talk about that digital thing that you brought up. Your partner will have their own passwords to their social media. As a partner in a healthy relationship, you're not going to invade their privacy by signing into their social media or taking over their phone to check up on them, right? You're going to respect that boundary of the privacy of their passwords. How about this, Jessica? Or make a fake account and send your partner a friend request or follow them to try to spy on them. Have you exactly. ever heard of people doing that? Yes, yes. And that's that's kind of scary, right? Because that gets into towards maybe along the abusive spectrum of the relationship. Now, I also want to preface this. If, if there is trust that's been betrayed, if your partner has a history of cheating, for example, in order for respect to be built, maybe there is an accountability where you share, where your partner shares his or her passwords, that kind of openness and accountability. Right. So, right. And there can be, right, Jessica, there may be couples where they do know each other's passwords, but that doesn't mean they're constantly going in there and questioning everything. Right. That's real important what you said, when trust has been betrayed and if this is a, a partnership, a romantic relationship and where they've committed to fidelity, and if that promise hasn't been kept, then maybe there will be some agreements. But again, they're mutual agreements, right? Where they talk about it, it's not just invasive, I'm coming in, but would it even be better to say, if you're going to talk to that person again with whom you betrayed my trust, I would hope that you would share that with me. Not that I have to go and dig it up every time. That would be best case scenario. Online dating is how I met my husband. So I know this is kind of a common place for sure. at least my generation and the generations sure. after me of how sure. we're meeting people. And there is this temptation to want to Google the person to try to find out as much information as possible. That happened to one of my friends is when she started dating this guy, they had been in the relationship for a few months. So they had known each other for a while. He had gone on her Facebook page and essentially did a search uh, through everything with her ex-boyfriend. And I guess there were still some posts up from five years ago from when she was in this relationship with her ex-boyfriend. And she had called him guapo, which is handsome in Spanish, on one of his posts. And that made the guy that she was in a current dating relationship jealous, even though that was a post that happened five years ago. In a conversation when she had called him guapo and he had become, oh, like, you're calling me the same term of endearment that you called your ex, which just to kind of clarify, guapo is a very common term of endearment sure. in the Latino community. But he felt specifically hurt about that. So that's a yellow flag, right? That is an right. unhealthy 
disrespectful of digital boundaries, bordering along stalking, heading maybe towards the spectrum of abuse. But just to kind of flesh out what this looks like, especially in our modern technology-driven age where our relationships are really on not just in person, but also in the internet too. Right. So in respect, we're not going to be invasive. We're not going to barge into people into the bathroom when they're using the bathroom and we don't have to barge into their social media either, right? Exactly. Now we have a spectrum on trust. Would you like to read those for us? Sure. So in a healthy relationship, trusting looks like you believe what your partner has to say. You do not feel that you need to prove each other's trustworthiness. Along the spectrum in an unhealthy relationship, maybe you're seeing some distrust, not trusting. One partner doesn't believe what the other person says or feels entitled to invade their privacy. In an abusive relationship, this could look like physically hurting or injuring the other partner by hitting, slapping, choking, pushing, or shoving. Our example. If I hear you read through these, I think we talked a lot about the trust already when we were talking about respect. Mm -hmm. As you moved into physical abuse, I just wanted to add, in addition to hitting, slapping, choking, pushing, or shoving, it could even be withholding someone's movement. And by that, it could mean just holding someone down on the bed, being on top of them, mm -hmm. and they feel unsafe. It could be a partner blocking the doorway so their partner can't leave to go out and visit their friend or go out and visit their mom or their sister. Mm -hmm. It could be hiding the keys from someone, taking their phone. Any way that I'm trying to impede the other person from moving and going and being, in my opinion, starts to get physically abusive. Because I've worked with couples where a man who's been very controlling says, I've never hit her. Mm. But then those other elements come out and they feel a little bit physically abusive to me. Do you have any thoughts about that, Jessica? I think that makes a really good point, uh, Glenn, which is, you know, what we'll kind of get into later in this presentation is abuse is not just physical. There is emotional, there is psychological, financial. And right. I think you make a really good point, Glenn, is that the man that you were talking about, he said, well, I didn't leave a bruise on her. There's no scratch. There's no physical evidence. But there is the intimidation, right? And the trying to control the space and her movement. And I think this issue of trust is so important, not just on a physical level, but an emotional level for safety. Because essentially, that's really what trust facilitates is a safety in relationships. Absolutely. Let's look now at the honesty spectrum. In healthy relationships, you're honest with each other, but can still keep some things private. In an unhealthy relationship, one or both partners tell lies. 
in an abusive relationship, we move into blame. The abusive partner blames the others for their harmful actions, makes excuses for abusive actions, and or minimizes the abusive behavior. Jessica, what would you like to add to that? When I think about honesty, especially in, in the abusive spectrum, when we're talking about blaming, right, there's a lack of accountability, someone taking responsibility for their actions, and not really being honest with themselves. And that could be maybe because of shame or because of a belief of entitlement. And that is definitely something in working with perpetrators of abuse is there's a difficulty to own their actions or to make excuses or to try to put it on the victim or survivor. Oh, she said this. She made me do this. She made me angry. Instead of really taking ownership for not only the actions, but the feelings as well. So that's kind of what I think about. What about you, Glenn? I think that being transparent can really help. And by that, I mean, let's share what we're doing, what we're thinking, why we're thinking it, as much as reasonably possible. I'm smiling because I'm going to tell a little story so that there's not misunderstanding. A few months ago, a therapist started renting an office near my office part-time because she had a full-time job in an agency and she was starting to build a private practice and she knew that I had a private practice. So she had sent me a message and she said, could I go with you sometime to get coffee to pick your brain about starting a private practice? And I thought to myself, okay, that would be good, but I think I'm going to let my wife know because you never know. Somebody could see me having a coffee or, you know, having lunch with someone and think that something was wrong, right? Think that maybe I was engaging in an extramarital relationship. So I talked to my wife and I said, therapist asked if I could go with her. I don't drink coffee, so maybe it'll end up being lunch. Would you be okay with that? And she said, yeah. So I talked to the therapist and I said, hey, I wouldn't mind getting a bite to eat with you and you can pick my brain about being a private practitioner. So we went out to eat and guess who was at the restaurant? My mother-in-law and my sister-in-law were at the restaurant. And I thought, I'm glad I told my wife because when they tell me, hey, guess what? I, I introduced them all to each other. But when my wife found out about it, she wasn't like, what the heck? She's like, I know. He told me. They were just going out to talk about a private practice. So as we talk about honesty, I think letting each other know in advance what we're doing Jessica, we mentioned all of this is on a spectrum. Anytime we get excessive, I don't have to tell her every meal I'm going to eat and everything in the world, but I thought it's probably a good idea for me to let her know that I'm going out to eat with somebody who it is since it was a female. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. And I think that's funny because as a wife, if I had that experience with my husband and my mother like texted me like, oh, he's with a random girl. Like I don't know her, you know, I'd be like, huh? Right. <laughs> so, <I thought> <laughs> yeah. So that communication and that honesty beforehand definitely 
definitely was helpful, right? In that situation, there's no misunderstanding about right. motivations or anything like that around the situation because you had that conversation and that honesty and that transparency. Uh, and you know what I'm noticing, Glenn, as we're kind of going through all of these is they all kind of feed into each other, right? Because there's also sure that, that trust, mutual trust. Absolutely, they do. Trust and respect, and I know we talked about those back-to-back. -back. Right after love, which is probably the most important thing in any relationship, respect and trust, huh? they feed yeah. into everything. Right. you want to read us the ones on equality? Sure. So in a healthy relationship, equality looks like making those decisions together, really seeing each other as equals and as partners and holding each other to the same standard. I am going to tell my husband if I'm meeting someone of the opposite sex that I'm going to have lunch, you know, having that same expectation for myself as well. Two-way street, right, two -way Jessica? Street, exactly. Two-way street. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I myself aren't willing to also do. As we move into the unhealthy part of the spectrum, what that looks like is maybe trying to take control. So one partner feels their desires or choices maybe are more important or take more precedence in the relationship than the other. So there's some lack of equality where both desires and choices are important. In an abusive situation, the abuser is really controlling and isolating the other partner by telling them maybe what to wear, who they can hang out with, where they can go, what they can do. In my case, I disclosed that I was in an abusive relationship and this played out quite a bit. There was a critique about I didn't wear enough makeup. I didn't have the right hairstyle. There was control of my image that was really abusive as well. Right. All of a sudden, you couldn't be you. Exactly. If I were to make comments like that, dude, like you need to change your hair or you need to That's get muscle or something like right, that. Right, right, right. It wouldn't be taken in the same way. It was a double standard. The isolation I really resonate with because... It was all about him and his world and his friends. And when you're in an abusive relationship, sometimes you don't realize everything that's going on because it happens so slowly. But I started getting comments from my friends like, we never see you anymore. Like, where are you? Like, we haven't seen you in so long or we haven't heard from you. And a lot of it was he was isolating me from my friends. It was all about hanging out with his friends. And if I did, dare to decide to hang out with one of my girlfriends, he would get extremely jealous or upset about that. Glenn, did you want to add anything kind of more to sort of flesh this point out? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about this, Jessica. Thanks. Yeah, first of all, thank you for sharing a little bit about you and how it felt for you to lose yourself and to not be able to have the same amount of contact with friends and with family. Mm -hmm. And as your world got smaller and smaller, that's, that's scary, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I know in an upcoming slide, they're going to use the term male privilege. You mentioned earlier that we're saying he and she, not because it's always the male, but in the vast majority of the cases in heterosexual relationships, 
it's the male that dominates and controls. Now, I've definitely worked with couples where the woman is controlling. It's usually not as much physical abuse, although there are cases where the woman is physically abusive. But I think this one here, the controlling and isolate, I've had women telling their husbands, your family's no good, your mom's no good, our babies can only be with my mom, our babies can only be with my sisters, you have a brother that does drugs, your family doesn't even love you. And once in a while, I see some relationships where the paternal side doesn't have very much access to the children because there's been this narrative brought up and perpetuated that only her friends and her family are the good ones, that yeah. she can determine that. So I wanted to comment about that. And then obviously the things we're talking about apply to same-sex couples too, Yes, right? Absolutely. Going back to the more typical, the more common heterosexual couple where the male is abusive, there's so many societal influences on that, aren't there, Jessica? I mean, I think of myself as a boy growing up you see James Bond movies and Dirty Harry and strong, tough, handsome men can have as many sexual partners as they want. They don't have to concern themselves if they're using birth control or not. But yet, if their girlfriend or one of their partners seeks somebody else out, that's the end of the world. And you see that as a male modeled for you that the more people you sleep with, the more valuable you are as a human being. And so many powerful men in politics, celebrities, athletes, we continue to see that. And in some ways it's excused. I know it hasn't been as much lately because thank heaven for the Me Too movement. Right, where I was going to say, we're seeing a lot of pushback. Bill Cosby, right. Matt Lauer, Tiger Woods, all of a sudden, these behaviors Harvey Weinstein. That, Harvey Weinstein. These behaviors uh, that my whole president, lo- Donald Trump. <laughs> right, right. For me, a middle-aged person growing up, there was no Me Too movement. I think that men were sort of taught, hey, when you're powerful, that's the privilege that comes with it. To the victor, the spoils. And so that message has been out there for a long time and has done a great disservice to men and to women. There's phrases like, behind every great man, there's a good woman. Well, why is she behind, right? And why is it always about the man? A lot of cultures, it is about the man. I mean, history is all about men, right? And women are in the background. And so I think a lot of men continue to believe that. And they don't think that a relationship is supposed to be equal. I know later on, we're going to talk about financial abuse Mm -hmm. and that there's heterosexual couples in which the woman's on an allowance, so she has to has to spend. Sometimes even when they're both working, even sometimes when she's making more, right? And so I think this idea of equality is so important. And there are so many reasons why, maybe they're unspoken reasons, but why some men have thought if they want the family to move, the family's going to move. Well, if they want this, then this is how it's going to be. I don't know. Those are just some thoughts that I wanted to share as we talked about equality. Yeah. And there's so much that we could say about living in the United States as in living in a patriarchal society. Right. And a society where men are valued more than women. 
and their work is valued more than women, 70 cents to the dollar. And for women of color, even lower. It's important to think about the intersection of identities. We are talking a lot in the sense of a heterosexual couple. A lot of the examples that we've brought in are heterosexual relationships, but Again, this plays out regardless of sexuality in LGBTQ plus relationships. And then there's also thinking about the other intersections of identity of race and particularly living in a society where white men are the dominant group. So let's move on to maybe, Glenn, if read the last one. Um, sure. The last one flows right into it because now what we're talking about, the personal time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just fits right in. In a healthy relationship, you both can enjoy spending time apart, alone, or with others. You respect each other's need for time apart. In an unhealthy relationship, your partner's community is the only one you socialize in. In an abusive relationship, one pressures or forces the other partner to do things they don't want to do. They threaten, hurt, or blackmail their partner if they resist or say no. Maybe with some of that silence, right? Maybe some of that silence used, right? Yeah, absolutely. I just think about how consent, when I think about an abuse, the pressuring, the forcing. So when I think about enjoying personal time, I can kind of draw on my relationship with my husband. My husband loves to box. I am not so much of a boxer. So that's a hobby that he really enjoys <laughs> on his own. And he, of course, he's invited we're, me. We're sort of glad he enjoys boxing somebody else and not you, right, yeah. Jessica? Well, <laughs> of course not, no. But he, you know, he really enjoys his community. It's a great stress relief for him. It's really not only like physically, but also there's a community that he has there and he has his boxing friends. And of course, he's invited me to join him in it. And I joined once for a private session because I think every person should have a self-defense class to get some basics down. And I enjoyed that, but I was like, you know, really that's your thing. And I'm okay that that's your thing. And for me, I love yoga. And that's my thing. And he'll sometimes participate in in doing some stretches with me, but there's a respect where we do things together. We have things that we enjoy together, walks, uh, taking our dog for walks. And then there's also things that we do apart that we enjoy as well. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's healthy for any relationship. In an abusive relationship, you know, what you're really seeing is one person exerting themselves and their identity and really trying to control the other person to... Your world has to be about boxing. Mm-hmm. And you've got to come to my every competition mm-hmm. and go out, you know, with my friends and their wives to everything they do. You married me. It's all about boxing in this It's all about boxing. And even more like not respecting... If they say no, like, I don't want to. And that's really about consent and boundaries and how important it is to have those in a relationship. That's sort of what comes to mind. Glenn, did you have anything to add? I love the example that you gave. You and your husband do have things you do together. 
because in any healthy relationship, even non-romantic relationships, right? Whether it's parent, child, or friends, or co-workers, you know, we want to have some things that we enjoy together. Like you have your walks with your dog, and I'm sure some other things. But then if he goes off to box, or you're doing your yoga, we don't want stuff like you like yoga more than me, right? And, you know, if you really loved me, you wouldn't do yoga. Hopefully we find that balance where there's time together, but there's time to be an individual too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. All right. I thank Jessica for her brilliant presentation. She and I have decided to conclude episode 13 here. The rest of the presentation already recorded will be the body of episode 14, Understanding and Preventing Abuse. In that episode, we will learn more about domestic violence, physical, sexual, economic, and emotional. That conversation covers sensitive subjects honestly, explicitly, and may not be appropriate for all audiences. As we close episode 13 with healthy versus unhealthy relationships, we hope this information will help you in your relationships. A big problem is when there's an imbalance in a romantic relationship, when one person feels superior to another. That could be due to their physical strength, their economic status and ability to make money, their academic degrees, their physical beauty, at least what they perceive it to be, their country of origin, or their gender. We hope that we will find ourselves and look for and stay in healthy relationships in which we have our agency to choose who we are, how we dress, and how we spend our time. And that we, in turn, will allow the same for our partner. Everyone needs to have a voice. We want to listen to each other and speak to each other, asking for requests, not demands, learning to negotiate and compromise. We respect each other, each other's family, gender, religion, or lack of, their country of origin, their political beliefs and persuasions. We want to work towards a trusting, honest relationship in which we have plenty of time together where we enjoy activities that we both like, but we also allow each other to continue to be individuals and to pursue our own interests and root for each other and believe in each other without being paranoid that if they're away from us, they don't love us. The song that I would like us to sing in concluding this episode is a song from my childhood by a band named Orleans. And the song is called Still the One. I was thinking of that song because some of us may be in a relationship we're trying to make it work, even though there's been some ups and downs. So join me as I sing with Orleans, Still the One. Ever since way back when, so 
Find the video version of this podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or on the website beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. This channel does not provide therapeutic advice. It is intended for informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical diagnosis or treatment. Please seek advice with licensed therapists in your area.